Hi, everyone. I'm Frank Keith of Sweetheart Pub, and welcome back to the podcast. This week on Music Rookie is a conversation with Phil Egenthal, a booking agent at Mint Talent Group, which is a brand new boutique agency formed in 2020. Mint currently represents a broad swath of artists across all genres. Over the past decade, Phil worked as an agent both at Paradigm and Madison House before forming Mint. During our talk, Phil's going to break down how the role of booking agent has evolved over the years, and he'll share his advice for artists who are looking to add an agent to their team, as well as what agents might be looking for when considering bringing on a new client. He'll also touch on how you can be your own booking agent, although I admittedly didn't frame the question exactly that way. The advice is still relevant and very much worth heeding. And with that, let's dive right in. Let's start with what you do day to day as a booking agent, and then we can pivot that, look at it from the other side. You know, I'm a band. I'm looking to work with a booking agent. What do you want to see from a band? Sure. You know, booking agents are typically responsible for helping to set up and outline all aspects of a lot of an artist's touring career. You know, that role has expanded in during the COVID time, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But for now, you know, when an artist is just starting out their career, they will say, okay, well, we're worth 50 or 100 tickets in our hometown. We're ready to hit the road. We want to go play Memphis and Chattanooga in addition to just Nashville now. So when you've gotten a leg up or two and you've gotten a little bit of a draw in two to three or four places, you know, maybe five places, then you may be ready to start a conversation with a booking agent. But a booking agent will contact the venues. They will hold the dates, try to put together a consecutive routable tour that you can drive in a econo van that may break down from time to time. We will negotiate how much your fee to be paid, whether that's a uh, flat deal, percentage deal. You know, there's basically six types of deals, which can be covered in another music business lesson another time. Either way, you know, everything from overseeing when the show will be announced to how the show will be marketed, making sure they're using your approved photo that you want to have, making sure that the bill has other acts that are um, complimentary or, you know, helping to benefit the ticket sales, all the way through to making sure you get paid, sending a contract, handling the administration, and then settling it out so that you get paid the proper amount. You know, as bands grow and get to a bigger level, of course, that's a much larger level of planning. There are multiple venue options in every single city. Certainly not going to play every single place in the whole entire country. Are you going to play major markets? Are you going to play secondary markets? Do you have an album out? Are you in cycle? Are you just trying to make money to fulfill your touring livelihood while you're in between projects? So many different factors. And then in the COVID era, you know, we've pivoted a little bit to work in the streaming and virtual world, which, you know, agents get involved in varying degrees. You know, when there is a smaller scale live show element with a streaming portion, there are deals to be worked out, percentages, you know, there are dozens of different types of live streaming deals where there are advanced monies, back-end monies, percentages, reverting percentages, and your agent would help navigate your understanding and benefit of some of those situations so that you as a creative type and musician can concentrate on 
making music and playing and performing music. You touched on that getting started 50 to 100 tickets in your hometown. I've heard different numbers from different people. I'm sure it's not that, you know, you probably can tell outside looking in when something's starting to take hold as an agent. How are you doing discovery other than is it just straight up cold call outreach to you from the artist or do you kind of have your ear to the streets and seeing, you know, what's hitting in this market right now that nobody knows about yet? Maybe I can help develop this artist somewhere down the line. What does that look like? It's a fair combination of both. You know, um, typically artists before you would be ready for an agent would likely be ready for a manager. That would be a, a, a more usual first step in the process because the manager is going to you know become the quarterback of your marketing efforts your release efforts your touring efforts and all of the above most agents won't typically consider working with bands that don't have or artists that could be a solo artist um, that do not have management sometimes they will but unless there's a tremendous upside or a tremendous amount of attention or excitement related to your project, it's very difficult from someone who's typically busy, not as busy maybe during COVID time, but in the normal world to have to explain or teach you about why the the Fillmore in San Francisco has $9 service fees on every single ticket and why you can't make more than 45% of the gross in that market when you play that city, you know, or whatever the in lesson of the day related to the situation. So your manager would usually be your first step. And we rely on a network of managers, you know, to tell us about what their next and latest and greatest projects and pursuits are. Now that also extends to labels, lawyers, and publicists, and our network of just talking to people about who they're working with. That being said, one of my defaults and go-tos over the years about my A&R process and how I find new bands is entirely talking to the promoters. There in every city is a 300 to 500 or even up to 1,000 capacity independently owned venue that's likely been operating for a while. And the talent buyers and promoters from that establishment are pretty likely to know who's coming up in the ranks in their city. And if you have a good relationship with them and you talk with them in advance, they can feed you tips about who they like before they give it to the other agents or vice versa. And you, you know, establish a rapport that gets you the pipeline that you need to find. So the, the narrative that I'm trying to get out here is in a long-winded way, make sure when you play these local establishments, if you're the opener or the support, that you are professional, friendly, polite, and grateful for all the opportunities because when those promoters go and they see people like myself calling them and say, who is the next up and coming and who's the greatest? And you say, you know, I had the greatest, greatest guys in here, your ladies the other night, they were just so sweet and they were professional, finished on stage on time. Crowd really loved them. I would definitely book them again. That's the, you know, report we're looking for from our side. You know, of course there's the, well, this act that's local sold out my room, but they showed up two hours late and pissed in my green room and drank all the booze and whatever it was. You know, we, we will take those two depending on the circumstance, but, you know, trying to rough around the edges or sand around the edges there is not always as fun. I can imagine booking the, the black lips has its pros and cons. 
Oh, that's exactly what it is. You know, there are creative genius and creative genius, unfortunately, gets sort of rewarded in a lot of ways and sometimes enabled. And we don't like to enable anybody to, for bad behavior or rude behavior. But sometimes we will put up with a little bit of impoliteness to get the art out there. That's all great insight. I'm seeing more and more uh, kids are learning about some of these types of topics in school and music business class, which is interesting to me as well. I've, I went through that program at UGA down here, and I, I, I can't tell you, it's been so long now, I, I don't remember what, what did I learn there and what if I just learned out in the real world doing this, but it sure as hell didn't hurt. Well, the program, when you went through it, I'm not going to say how many years ago since we're recording, but uh, you know, uh, was not as evolved, I'm sure, as it is now. I imagine that they probably have lots of eloquent guests and feature people to help talk about stuff like this. But when you went, maybe it was a little less lesser. So I imagine your life experience is definitely outweighing your, uh, you know, college collegiate academic experience. All right. Well, Phil, I'm I'm honestly I'm not sure what else to ask you, man. Why don't you let me uh, help you out a little bit then? You know, our our clients, um, we have a, a really wide-reaching roster, which is EDM through Southern Rock, a lot of legendary, iconic elder states people that are icons of their instrument or whatever. And in the last few months, just prior to this COVID spike, pretty much everyone had been in their house from parked and now had started raising their hands saying, hey, we want a tour. We're sick of being at home and cooped up. What do we do? And one thing that happened that was interesting is that in the fourth quarter here, we saw a ton of socially distant, safe, responsible options popping up for touring. And those were varied from pod shows, you know, in a park, farm, plantation, backyard, whatever it was, all the way through drive-ins, et cetera. There were some victories and some definitely some misses. Many people did not care for the shows that were the FM transmitter because it created a delay and there was some sound issues. They prefer the concert sound. The older fans don't really like to go to drive-ins, but the younger fans for EDM and jam bands do. The, those older fans prefer to go to the pod shows that are out on a pl- picnic blanket or a socially responsible seat or table that they get on the, of their own night. The hotel shows where they rent out a whole hotel and put the DJ at the bottom are really, really popular and people like having their own party room. No surprise there. But the point of all this is we've taken all of our touring that was originally flipped from March through, you know, basically everything we pulled down and postponed from 20 to 21. And we've now started to make new models. And in every single city, there will be options. And those options will be 100 tickets all the way through 1,000 tickets. There will be a drive-in or a venue. For example, in Nashville, the Marathon Music Works, a thousand person normally, plus 1,200 maybe, is doing 100 ticketed person ticketed shows. You know, there are some all different types of opportunities. You know, they're, they don't work as well for developing acts because the smaller capacities, if you're playing Marathon, they don't always want to do a 15 or $20 ticket because they can't cover the expense of a thousand capacity venue on that ticket price. However, they're keeping their staff working, they're keeping some fans in the house, musicians are, are touring, and there's definitely some goodwill there. So we appreciate all of that effort because they're certainly not making any money. 
But my point of this is there's likely an action, available action for every single type of touring act, every level. Some of our acts are doing virtual privates for their fans, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where like, you know, it's $500 for 30 minutes and you get eight friends. And if you want to add it, 10 friends or 20 friends, it's another $1,000 or another 30 minutes is another thousand. And, you know, they can make some really good money and have some really good, you know, grosses for while they're not on the road. But you obviously have to have an established fan base and things to be able to support these endeavors. So, you know, the, the thing that I'll say is nobody should get discouraged. There's going to be greener pastures and clear skies ahead. The model is now starting to take a little bit of shape and there is definitely going to be a a way forward for touring musicians. It is definitely not going to be what it was. It's not going to be back to normal, but if you're like, Oh man, I have to go work in the financial sector because my mom says I can't be a musician anymore. I don't think that's the answer. So there's one thing I did remember. I wanted to ask you as soon as I said, I don't know what else to ask you. And that is what advice do you have to someone? I want to be a booking agent. What do I do? The um, opportunity now, I would say, is greater because every agency in, across the board from the highest level to the lowest has sadly had to make a lot of cuts and changes to their operations. And what that's done has been a, a nice rebirth of a bunch of independent boutique agencies sprouting up. And in the previous years, maybe the past five to 10 years, the opposite had been happening. Every one of the unique, cool boutique agencies of every genre and variety or varied specialty had been gobbled up and absorbed, with the exception of a couple that remained independent, into the major agencies, into Paradigm and other places. So now the spawning, I'll call it, of these various agencies, TBA artists, Arrival artists, Mint Talent Group, several others, um, you know, have given way to shops in various places. You don't need to work or live, excuse me, in the cities where those offices are. I know that our operation is eager to train and mentor a bunch of people, you know, that are quality once we get enough opportunity to be able to, you know, empower folks. You know, I think people have a little more time now. One benefit to opening a new company and a new shop during the pandemic is, a little more time if you tried to open a company or a new talent agency during a normal booking time your life is so consumed with the regular details of all of those tour tours and touring that it would be a little harder so you know this pandemic has given us a minute to at first pause and breathe and think about things in a really strong way that gave us a perspective that we think is going to be a good model for many years to come and then the last thing i'll say about that is You know, we work with artists that we don't throw a lot of things against the wall and just see what sticks. You know, we're when our mentality is for career longevity. So, you know, we want to know that, you know, hey, this record is going to come out and we're going to put it out independently or maybe you have a label or two and it's going to do what it's going to do. But nobody becomes usually their most popular on their first record. You know, most people on their second, third, fourth, quality effort when people start to pay attention. Unfortunately, in our world, the best music, or I'll say the most mediocre music gets the most popularity. And the best music, unfortunately, is relegated to medium amounts of popularity. So 
let's hope that uh, we can have a little bit more of a, a dynamic shift in the future. And there you have it. Thanks to Phil for taking the time to speak with me and for unpacking the role of the booking agent in 2021 and beyond. Once again, we see how important relationship building and networking is in the music industry. And I really want to hammer home the importance of first impressions. Don't be that band that trashes the green room because you never know who the venue owner or promoter, talent buyer, etc. might be talking to. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're interested in more insider information like this, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for at sweetheartpub.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. That way you'll be notified when every episode comes out. If you've got any specific questions, feel free to tweet me or shoot me an email. I try to make myself as easy to find as possible. Same goes for any follow-up questions for Phil, or any of our guests for that matter. If you want to reach out to us, we'd be happy to check in with them or put you directly in touch if that seems like it would make more sense. This episode was produced by Brandon Kinder and myself, Frank Keith IV, and I'm also responsible for our theme music. And with that, as always, go do something useful.